the web eight days after the departure of the fateful Lakewall caravan. The caravan goers milled about, calm water before the stone of terror is cast. There was a sense of restlessness, but the entertainment provided numbed that sense. The delay was forgiven, and no one noticed when the first words were uttered openly. Words taboo and largely forgotten, now so common. Stars guide you. One warden speaks to another. The other warden looks and shifts uneasily. His eyes widen. He knew the words would come soon enough, but is still shocked to hear them. He nods and scurries away. He approaches a thief leaning against a cart. Stars guide you. The thief hesitates, nods, and slinks into the shadows. The thief approaches a mage. Stars guide you. The mage's face pales. His nod is hesitant and stilted. He hobbles through the caravan to the head. He looks around nervously. He approaches the slight in grain. Stars guide you? He stammers. Lyrian frowns. She turns coolly and leaves, saying nothing. The mage lets out a ragged sigh. All the while, the prisoner of the third vault, the profaned hunter, babbles to himself. In frenzied monotone, he speaks of a wolf, a sovereign, a god, stalking the caravan. But surely, such things are myth. The slate in red stands beside the rolling vaults and hears it all. He hears the words of the stars and the words of the owl. And so, things are set in motion. And so, fate is set. Stars guide you. Previously, Bishop Granite, a member of the cult of the Guiding Stars, has meddled with dark powers. Although he has been warned by others, he seems giddy about the deal he has made with the five emissaries of contracted death. Our trio made the choice to flee into the wilds in fear that their theft had been discovered. Efer read one of the books and learned of an ominous prophecy regarding Tali. This distraction allowed an assailant to get the upper hand on Efer. And so, Tali and Whisper fear the worst for their teacher. Chapter 11, Lines of Red Ifair opened her eyes. It was dark. She was in pain. She was bound. Staystone glimmered in the chain that restrained her despite the dark. A strange material staystone, a conduit and a damper. In this application, the staystone made calling her bonds as difficult as swimming with a boulder bound to her legs and arms. She could easily wade into the water, but would surely drown. And so, Ifair of the Seventh Bond was trapped. She attempted to gain her composure. She attempted to plan. 
all felt vain. Stupid. She should have never allowed this to happen. If she hadn't, a sick feeling crept into her stomach as she thought of those words. She leaves the wall and lives in captivity and sorrow. Ifair hung her head. All these years, only vaguely considering these prophecies, only taking them with a grain of salt, even a warning of her own death only worked well enough to make her moderately more interested. She now found herself taking these mystical words with the utmost of gravity. She sat up straight despite the constriction of the chains. She gritted her teeth. She was getting out of here. She attempted again to call on any of her seven bonds and concluded it was impossible. The exchange needed would drain her. Draining her exchange like this would either leave her dead or close to it. She focused, delving deep into her memories, looking for anything she could use. As she explored the confines of her knowledge, she stumbled upon something forgotten. Perhaps not forgotten, avoided. In a long hallway of gleaming brass doors, often entered and exited, this was heavy oak far in the back, covered in cobwebs and dust. She approached this memory. This was something she treated with skepticism and fear. The Eighth Bond This bond was not marked by any staystone in her back. She had never used it. She reached out to it now, hesitantly. She felt a foreign and yet familiar call, much to her surprise. She'd made this bond many years ago and maintained it despite never being willing to use it. Had the time come? She did not know the depth, breadth, nor even effect of its powers, but she knew its warnings. This bond was that of the monolith in Yon's Eye of Man. Thousands of miles away, three serpent scales sat atop the monolith, powering those arcane configurations. She did not understand it. Its configurations were strange, totally unlike anything ever taught by the mages at Eero. But yet, she could not deny that its call was still powerful. Despite being such a distance away, she felt she could easily draw upon its power. But to what end? The words from her namesake book crept back into her head, the words her father had read her so long ago. Take of me three scales, place them on your pillars of stone, from them draw on my power. To do this, I must ask of your soul. She shuddered. This was an option she dreaded. She was unsure what effect it would even have, but she sensed a might just beyond that call. Power. It asked for her, and she denied it. There had to be another way. Now was no time to experiment with strange powers. She spit and felt the dribble of saliva run down her face. A gift from her first interaction with her captors, the spit left a trail of blood, sticky and smelling of iron. The door to the carriage opened and quickly closed. Two gruff men stood before her. One was a warden, the other was clearly a hired sword. Gentlemen, welcome back, Ifair said. Last chance, where are they? The warden rumbled. Ifair shook her head. Your books and maps are gone. I told you, I destroyed them while trying to open them. She'd repeated this lie many times now. It was not very effective. She grunted from the blow. We need what you stole, thief. We need them. Give them to us now. They're gone. They're gone. 
Efer gasped in a pain staccato. They burst into flames when I took off the silver threads. You're telling us you took off every single deterrent, one after another. Although each book burst into flames, you went ahead and opened them all, letting each burn. That's what you're saying? Efer looked up with no small effort. Yes, she said. The warden stared at Efer, his blue eyes delving into hers, searching for any slivers of truth or slivers of deceit. He leaned back with a scowl. Then we have no use for you. It will be a simple matter of disposing of you. You can't kill a mage, Efer said quietly. The treaties forbid it. I'm sacrosanct, sure, but I cannot be killed. And let's say you do try something foolish. I am not overly concerned about how I die. And trust me, I will be able to call down terrors you cannot even fathom before a single blade makes a mark. These chains only work on someone who is concerned about staying alive. The two men stared, their search for truth now a bit more hesitant. For once, they seemed to believe what she was saying. This is going nowhere, the warden spat. We're running out of time. I'm going to get her. The two men departed. Ifair sighed and relaxed. She again tasted iron in her mouth and spit. Blood and saliva sloshed onto the ground, more than Ifair had expected. Her stomach churned as she thought. How long had she been captive? How long had it been since she drank her tea? She realized now, with abject terror, that the small wounds they'd inflicted could still be fatal. Without having drank her tea, that strange grey-eyes remedy, her wounds would not heal on their own. She was slowly bleeding to death. She couldn't help but let out a bitter laugh. It couldn't be this simple, could it? Morakota Melkil, the beginning of the death. Was she going to become a dried husk here in this dank prison of wood? No, she would not resign herself to death. Not when a new fate had been brought to her attention. Tali. A chill crossed her scalp and embraced the whole of her body as she thought. What will Tali and Whisper do when they realize I'm gone? When they deduce I've been captured, she'd hope they'd flee, make it out into the wilds, but of course they wouldn't. They would come looking for her. They were going to try and rescue her. Yes, leave it to them to do something foolish. And what could be more foolish than trying to rescue her? It's agreed, Tilly said. I'm turning myself over. She unattached Leaf, which had been strapped to her side, and handed it over to Whisper. It's the only way, Whisper said grimly. Whisper and Tali had returned to the caravan early in the morning. Efer's carriage was deserted. It seemed almost serene, no signs of anything amiss. Tali was prepared to simply storm in, but Whisper was able to inspire patience. His intuition had been correct, of course. A group of wardens arrived and began carrying items away from the carriage. And so Tali and Whisper tried to answer the apparent question, where was Efer? This is when Whisper brought up a topic Tilly had thought of often. Where do the caravans keep their lawbreakers? With this many travelers, it is inevitable that some will need to be detained. But where? Something similar to a brig in a ship was required. 
If prisoners were kept in the caravan head, it would cause a disturbance amongst the wealthy travelers, as the profaned hunter demonstrated. But if they were kept in the open, it would bring up questions of security. So where? They must be hidden. Secret, a smuggler's carriage, Whisper suggested. A smuggler's carriage was a common term in the underworld. They appeared to be nothing more than a large cart carrying an assortment of luggage and cargo. But a secret door would reveal the interior to be hollow, perfect for the storage of items or people you wish to ferry undetected. So they began their search for any signs of a concealed prison amongst the normal carriages. They searched, they questioned, they spied. Tali even asked the owl, but the enigmatic man mumbled only of wolves and death. Despite it being a good idea, their search was fruitless. Dejected, they sat on the grass to think. Whisper buried his head in his hands until he stared off into the distance, plucking petals off a flower. When she removed the last petal, she made her suggestion. I think I need to turn yourself in, I know, Whisper said, not looking up. Are you going to let me do it? Tilly asked. Whisper looked up and sighed. It was clear he rebelled against the idea in theory, but had arrived to the same conclusion as Tilly. If Tilly was imprisoned, but able to guarantee Efer's release, her own interment would not be long-lived. There was no way Efer would let Tilly remain in the custody of the slate. So, who stood a better chance at jailbreak? An orphan and a thief with no idea what they were doing? or an incredibly powerful and clever mage of the seventh bond. I can't let you do anything, Whisper said with a grin. Correct, Tilly said. The muscles in her jaw twitched and her nose wrinkled. Besides, this is my fault. If not for my stupid mistakes, Whisper put his hand on her shoulder. Nothing about this is on you. We are all in this together. We all made mistakes. Efer would say the same if she were here. Tilly nodded, but she was not convinced. They took the time to brainstorm other ideas, but the sun rapidly moving across the sky reminded them that time was of the essence. They agreed. Surrender, jailbreak, and then into the wilds. The sights and sounds of the caravan that normally buffeted Tilly were dulled. She did not wander. She did not waver. She marched, resolute in her choice. Eyebrows raised when she marched into the caravan head, ignoring the protests of the wardens. I need to talk to the slate, she proclaimed. Her request was ignored. I need to talk to the slate, she pressed. She was told to leave. More anger. More wardens approached. What was the fuss? Tilly had never expected it to be this hard to get herself arrested. She began to raise her palms to show the glowing purple symbols marking her a thief. Surely that would speed the process. Uh, Tilly, what are you doing here? Tilly turned to see Drell, the warden tasked with guarding the owl. I need to speak to the slate. I need you to release my... Tilly was interrupted by a warden slapping Drell on the shoulder. Stars guide you, the warden said. Drell turned to him, confused. The man's face flushed. Uh, apologies, I thought you were climbing. His face strangely changed from scarlet to white. It's fine, Drell responded, but the warden had already hurried off. Drell shrugged and returned his focus to Tali. 
What exactly do you want? He asked. You need to free your prisoner, Tilly responded. I know that voice. Child, explain your presence. Tilly turned to see Lyrian striding towards her, her hands clasped in front of her and her green robes billowing. I need you to release your prisoner, Tilly repeated. Lyrian loomed over Tilly. A bold request, girl. And why would we do such a thing? Because, Tilly started, because this young one will pester us till we do. Featherbound appeared behind Lyrian, hobbling along, his hands clasped nonchalantly behind his back. A coy tactic, young child, but there will be no release of prisoners. Here, let me walk you back to your carriage. Featherbound firmly gripped Tilly's shoulder and whispered, You'll have to lead the way. I can't see a damn thing. Stay quiet. We'll talk when we're out of ear range. Tilly obeyed. She did not look back, but she could feel the furious gaze of Lyrian burning her neck. They walked silently until they were out of the caravan head. Featherbound gave Tilly directions that sent them winding through the caravan. They arrived in a mess of carts hauling supplies and crates. The area would seem innocuous had it not been for the dozen wardens scattered throughout. They all seemed on edge. A tall warden with his hand on the hilt of his sword and an imposing air of authority approached. I need some privacies, lads, Featherbound said. The warden stared at Featherbound and did not move. Slate business. You know the rules. Featherbound sounded almost goofy wielding such a sense of authority. When the warden's posture made it clear the authority had no effect on them, Featherbound sighed. He stood on his tiptoes and whispered something to the warden. A threat, it would seem, as the warden's face paled. He whispered something back angrily and gestured for the others to follow. He departed, the other wardens behind him. As they passed, a menacing warden, who bore a scar from his chin to his left ear, glowered at Tali and Featherbound. His eyes, for just a moment, moved to Tali's hands. His eyes widened. Tali looked down and then instinctively grasped her hands shut, hiding the shining purple symbols. But it was too late. What did it matter? She would soon be confessing to Featherbound. The warden with the long and jagged scar looked away and followed his comrades. Tali and Featherbound were alone. Featherbound turned to Tali. Now, what seems to be the problem? He asked. You imprisoned the wrong person. I broke into the vault and stole the maps. I have the marks to prove it. Sacrosanct, map bearer. That's me. Take me instead. Release your prisoner. Despite the obscuring veil, Tali saw Featherbound's mouth go slack and his face pale. The, the, the books that were stolen, it was you? Yes, and you read them. Should she lie and say she'd read them all? Should she reveal some were still stowed safely with the rest of their supplies by the three-faced statue? She chose to lie by omission. I read what I could, she responded. A map with purple lines. Did you see it? Featherbound pressed. I did, Tilly said. Her stomach was in knots, but she did not regret her decision. And it's destroyed. The map is gone? Yes, Tilly responded. She clenched her teeth as she thought of her costly mistake. Featherbound stumbled backwards. He recovered, stepped to Tilly, and reached out. Give me your hands, he said. She placed her hands in his. 
They were frail and white, and still had small, colorful splotches of pigment on them. He held her hands up to his face, pressing them against the metal shield that obscured his vision. The glowing purple marks refracted off the metal and danced across his red robes in abstract shapes. He let out a strangled sound. I see them, the glow of accusing marks. I can see them through the cracks in my shield. He put her hands down. His voice quivered. Sacrosanct. Map bearer. The map. He raised his head and turned. He walked further into the circle of carts, groping in the self-inflicted dark. As he stumbled forward, he touched different carts until seeming to find a specific one. It was tall and stacked with luggage and cargo. But something wasn't right. Tali grinned as she realized. It would seem Whisper would take a lead in points. He'd been right. They'd locked Ifair in a smuggler's carriage. Ifair sat in silence. The rumbling of voices, the clinking of swords, all stilled. She did not care why. She set to work attempting to free herself. Blood pooled in her mouth and she quickened her pace. For her own sake, for whispers, for Talese. Each moment she was trapped gave Talee an opportunity to do something stupid. Ifair wriggled and squirmed against the chains. Nothing. Take of me three scales. Ifair gritted her teeth. Was it time? She hesitantly reached her mind out towards that power. It was open, raw, welcoming, almost intoxicating to be so near it. It was truly unique. From them, draw on my power. The fact the power seemed immune to the stifling effects of the Staystone was alarming, but she did not have time to consider. She breathed, closed her eyes, and gave a final attempt to loosen her chains. The call of her seven bonds, the one she knew she trusted, grew stronger. The exchange would currently still pull her to crushing depths and decimate her exchange, but it was a start. She shimmied again and more chains loosed. Footsteps approached. No, the call was still too difficult. She gritted her teeth. To do this, I must ask of your soul. Only a few months ago, and she would have scoffed at the request for her soul. Now, whatever entity wanted it, it could have it. Good riddance. No one was getting to Lee. Ifair focused her energy and prepared to call on her eighth bond. The door to the carriage opened. Talee heard Featherbound shriek. She rushed to the carriage he'd entered. Ifair, Featherbound, she yelled. She came to the entrance of the carriage and froze. No. Featherbound was down on one knee, groaning in pain. Inside the cart was a pedestal on which little candles burned merrily. They surrounded a large piece of canvas that held a chaotic but beautiful painting. It was somehow formless but contained by bold lines of red. And that was it. Only lines of red. Ifair was not there. Featherbound's head snapped up as he realized Talee's presence. He stumbled out of the smuggler's cart and closed the door behind him. Talee blinked. Ifair was not there. So sorry, Featherbound said. I tripped and fell as I entered. This damn shield does have its downfalls. <sighs> now, here, these are for you. Talee looked down. 
Featherbound held out two worn leather gloves. Where is she? Tilly asked. Put these on now, Featherbound said, ignoring the question. Don't remove them. There are some, especially those of my order, who take the rule of the sacrosanct incredibly seriously. There are other ways they can find you, but not displaying those blasted purple symbols will buy you some time. Where's Efer? Tilly repeated. Efer? Your teacher? I thought the prisoner whose release you were demanding was the owl. Why would I... Tilly stopped. Of course. Everyone knew she spent time speaking to the owl. They thought she'd been demanding the release of the profaned hunter when she said prisoner. But that's why... That's why I told you about the maps. Featherbound groaned with realization and buried his head in his hands. Yes, I see now. I am sorry, child. I did not mean to mislead. I thought your confession was because... uh, I don't know what I thought. Where is E. Fair? Tilly repeated hopelessly. I am sorry, Tilly. I do not know where your teacher is. If she has been taken, it was not by the slate. Ifair stopped the call to her eighth bond as she processed the scene unfolding beyond the now-opened door of her prison. A procession of knights knelt. Someone approached, striding through a makeshift war camp. Red hair, pale face, paler scars. A banner flapped in the wind, showing a single rose growing in the carnage of a battlefield. Ifair stared at her captor in shock as the woman stepped inside. Trion. Ifair of the Seventh Bond, Trion responded. Something resembling a smile touched her lips. It was overshadowed by sunken eyes and pallid features. She was dressed plainly, except for a broadsword with a black hilt strapped to her waist. Why? Ifair asked, spitting out another mouthful of blood. My apologies. I'm sure you heard the news, but I find myself forced to be selective of my enemies and allies of late. Tell me, Ifair. Are you my ally? Historically, yes, Ifair responded. Trian smiled. Good. Let us speak plainly. You've stolen something. It is something I need. I am not speaking as a devout of the Church of Deep Stone, as you may fear, but as a commander and ruler of South Lakewall. I am not looking to throw you in a dank room to copy scrolls. I am looking to save countless lives. I need those maps. Will you aid me, Ifair? Ifair breathed. She tasted iron. She saw lines. I'm sure you've heard the news by now, but recent events have left me a little wary of trusting you. Prove yourself, Trian. I'm in desperate need of a specific herb, brewed as a tea. Without it, I will... Trian snapped her fingers, and a knight approached with a steaming mug. Ifair's bindings were removed, and the mug placed in her hands. The smell was nostalgic. Home. Eero. Answers. She gulped it down. The effects were immediate. She felt the flow of blood slow. Ifair lowered her mug and stopped herself from giving a dark chuckle as she processed. They'd known. She'd heard of the far-reaching spy network of the Lady of the Rose, but here was the proof. They knew of her blood condition. They knew of her theft. But if they cared so much about these books, did they know about Tali? 
If they did not, she planned to keep it that way. So you're looking for maps? Trianne nodded. The ruler stepped further into the carriage and again snapped her fingers. A priest entered. They bowed their head, and Ifera felt the healing effects of Scepter grasp her. Her wounds closed. Trianne stared intently at Ifera. I will not bore you with a history lesson you do not need. Granite's power grows, as does his influence and stupidity. He is erratic, dangerous. He is a rabid dog in a town square. Ifera, you and I, we are not enemies. We know of your theft. Let us aid you, offer you protection. We need those maps, and you need our help and protection. Things are afoot you cannot understand. Try me, Ifer said. Trianne paused, a wry smile touching her lips. Ever the tactician, she had secrets to keep. This was a game. This was war. Despite her entreaties, a figurative line was currently drawn between Trianne and Ifer. But was it chalk, or was it a wall? Trianne spoke. I will make you an official advisor, Ifer. Swear allegiance to me, and I will tell you all. Ifer looked at the dried blood on the floor. Trianne's gaze followed Ifer's. She sighed. Walk with me, Ifer, she said. Ifer rose unsteadily and followed Trianne out into the fresh air. Ifer squinted at the now bright sun. She could see the scrappiness of the encampment. They'd been rushed. They were short on supplies. They were on edge. Trianne walked confidently, but fidgeted as she strode. Five hundred fingers is plotting, scheming. He gains power that no man should have. What will we do when the fool finally amasses an army? The maps you stole would give those who oppose Granite an advantage long thought impossible. The information contained therein is crucial to any conflicts that may come. We have it on good authority that there was a specific one that is of particular interest to Granite, which is now in your possession. It is unique, and my informants will know it when they see it. I will sacrifice anything to get the contents of that map. Ifer smiled to hide the ice-cold blood that ran through her veins. This was surely the map that Tilly had opened. The map that had burned. When Trianne said she'd sacrifice anything, Ifer believed her. She lives in sorrow and captivity. It was not that far of a stretch to assume that Tilly would be forced into servitude of the lady due to the knowledge now exclusively in the girl's head. Knowledge that was apparently critical to Trianne's campaign. But surely Tilly could simply help sketch out the map? Or could she? Ifer did not want to take risks. Trianne said she'd sacrifice anything. What was a single orphan of the deep for the good of the entire land? Ifer shook her head. She repeated what she told the wardens. The maps were destroyed. Trianne stared at Ifer. It is inconceivable that a person clever enough to break into a rolling vault accidentally destroyed the item they stole. Ifer shrugged. Sorry to disappoint. You seek books, no? You seek answers? They can be yours. You want things long locked in vaults. You want volumes, but I can give you collections. The archives of Rose Garden are at your disposal. 
everything. The stories of your people, books long locked away, hidden eldritch knowledge, volumes of histories that have been so long forgotten they are not even considered a myth. They are yours if you give me the map. Ifair was sure some of her involuntary reactions revealed this offer was tempting. She tried to keep her composure. She again found herself shocked by the breadth of the intelligence Trian held. The Lady of the Rose stared hungrily at Ifair, awaiting her response. Ifair slowly shook her head. No. Trian's face fell. Ifair hadn't even allowed the logical part of her mind to weigh the options. There is nothing I can do. The maps were destroyed. She would not give up to Lee. <sighs> so many lives hinge on such a small thing, Trian said. I've faced death, and it has proven itself a lesser adversary than you, Ifair. I bleed for my people. It would not kill you to bleed a little bit too. Actually, it could, Ifair said, nodding her head towards the empty cup. Besides, it wasn't Ifair whom she was asking to bleed. Trianne looked back at her small war camp, her eyes hopeless. When she looked back at Ifair, they were cold, calculating, and resolved. I will serve my people, Ifair of the Seventh Bond. I will pay any price for them. Others say they would die for their people. I cheated death for mine. Try doing that sometime. I plan to, Ifair responded with a wry grin. Am I your prisoner then, Lady of the Rose? Trianne shook her head. You are not, but I cannot let you return to the caravan. Ifair looked around the war camp. Banners snapped in the wind. Soldiers dressed for combat stood at attention. Martial discipline dripped from every crack of the thrown-together camp. The sidelong glances the soldiers gave Trian showed their respect for their commander. Ifair's stomach churned at the enemy she'd just chosen. Then she noticed a small breach in the regimented camp. The old woman in white who'd been wandering around the caravan now wandered into the Lady of the Roses' camp. Ifair chuckled. Trianne looked at her. Ifair pointed. Trianne turned. She surveyed the twisted woods and her war camp, but her gaze seemed to drift over the aged intruder. But she could see her. Ifair could tell. Trianne's eyes would pause on the lady for just a heartbeat and then seemingly ignore her, pass over her like she wasn't there. Was the woman perhaps not an accidental intruder? A spy for the lady, perhaps? I see no one, Trianne said. Ifair looked to see if Trianne was making an odd jest. She was not. Her, Ifair said. Her chest got tight. The woman in white, the one you keep looking at, she is not a part of your camp, I assume? Trianne's eyes again fell on the old woman. They rested in contemplation and then stirred in horror. Trianne's hand trembled. You can see her? Trian, who is she? Ifair asked. Is this the first time? Trian asked. No, it is not. Who is she? Ifair asked again. She'd noticed her with Whisper. She'd seen many vendors in the caravan shooing her away. She'd seen Rikislar attempting to sell her something. A blade materialized in Trian's hand. Ifair stepped back, shocked at the appearance of a remembered blade. Yelm and Selud were already at Trian's side. The war camp spun into frenzied activity. Swords were drawn and shields raised. 
all for an old woman in white. Trianne turned and her eyes scoured the woods. She held her blade aloft. Ifair also scanned the perimeter. Was there something else of threat other than this old woman? She noticed the smoke, billowing black and white. It was some distance away. Trianne, what is happening? Ifair asked, grabbing the ruler's arm. Trianne gestured towards the lady in white. Your time to cheat death has come sooner than you may have thought, mage. That is the Pale Lady, harbinger of contracted death. Someone has paid for your demise, mage, the same as they paid for the murder of my whole family so many years ago. The Pale Lady stepped forward. She stared at Ifair. Folk tales regurgitated in Ifair's mind and a bile in her throat. But I've been seeing her for days, Ifair stammered. And so has everyone else in the caravan. A look passed between Selud and Trian. All this to attack a caravan, Selud mumbled. Why? This must have cost them a small fortune, Trian said. A haze filled Ifair's vision and mind. Her heart crashed in her chest. Trian, why wouldn't you let me return to the caravan? The pale lady watched. Trian turned. The Lakewall caravan is being attacked, she said quite plainly. Trian's face made it clear she had no intentions of going to the caravan's aid. You may choose your secrecy and greater good, Trian, but do not think for a second you can stop me from going to the aid of those people. Trian lifted her chin and sized Ifair up. She sighed, unbuckled the large sword around her waist, and handed it to Ifair. The blade was a masterwork. Ifair knew one when she saw one. Its hilt was black with small flecks of orange. Not a remembered blade, but surely enchanted. Ifair looked at Trian, confused. As I said, I'm not your enemy, Ifair. You'll need a weapon. I pray you know how to use one of these. I shall reclaim it from you the next time I see you. I pray you are living at this encounter. Ifair turned to leave. Trian grabbed her arm. I will get those maps, Ifair. Ifair had a cavalcade of things she wanted to spit back at Trian, but there was no time. The smoke rising from the caravan grew thicker and blacker. Ifair let her eyes linger on the Lady of the Rose for a moment longer before turning and running towards the caravan. Tali took Leaf back from Whisper and strapped the blade to her side. So if she wasn't in there, where the fuck is she? Whisper asked. What the fuck is going on here? He coughed as he finished. I don't know, Tilly said, looking down to her gloved hands and then back up to the world around. But I don't like it. It was all off. Everything was wrong. They began to walk. So how do we find Ifair? Whisper asked. He coughed again. A mist was rolling in. I don't know, Tilly responded. She coughed as well, and then she coughed harder. This was not mist. There was a scream. She coughed harder and smoke filled her lungs and stung her eyes. She stumbled and nearly fell. She called for Whisper, but realized her words were lost in a cacophony of screams and combat that now surrounded her. She called for Whisper again. She saw the glint of his dagger in the smoke. Whisper! She repeated. 
the glint was joined by a second. Furious eyes rose high in the smoke, piercing the black, piercing her soul. Lips parted, drool and razor-sharp teeth revealed. Its growl reverberated through her chest. In the distance, she heard the owl yelling from his cage. His voice rang out above the cries and carnage, but then was drowned out by the snarling of a massive wolf. Ifer ran. Her hair snagged in branches and leaves whipped her face, but she felt no pain. The plume of smoke blotted out the sun as she got closer. Screams carried through the forest in a dissonant choir. She plunged into the smoke. Someone suddenly blocked her path. She stumbled painfully to the ground. She rolled and was back up on her feet instantly, the sword given to her by Trian drawn and raised. The impressive blade glowed in the dark, revealing the specter before her. The pale lady stared at Ifair, her face passive. An omen her death had been paid for. An omen that many deaths had been paid for this day. The pale lady looked down, and Ifair hesitantly dropped her gaze. Lines of red streaked across the dark earth and green moss as blood trickled away from the caravan. The pale lady turned towards the caravan and disappeared into the billowing smoke. Her departure was accented by a howl. It was disturbing, unearthly, unnameable. Ifair did not recognize it, but she knew it. Her search was over. In the end, it was the sovereigns that had found her. The ground shook ever so slightly, the reverberation of massive paws on loamy earth. What powers had Granite called on for this attack? All of this was methodical, orchestrated. A new sound tore through the cacophony. The sound of earth rending was followed by the guttural snarling of the wolf. Swords clashed and voices screamed. Yver thought she heard Tali's voice calling out. It was followed by Featherbound's pleading for help. She then heard the slate scream. The girl! The girl! Yver stumbled forward, her pace frenzied. She found herself in a massive clearing. She hefted her sword, prepared for combat. She lowered the blade in shock. There was no giant wolf, no Tali, no assailants. In this clearing, nothing lived. There was only slaughter. Blood and bodies littered the ground. Bodies of hewn, bodies of priests, bodies of mages. Amongst the carnage were massive stones jutting up from the ground as though the earth itself had joined the fight. Her mind twitched, and despite the cloud of everything happening, one thing cut through. What had torn the earth like this? Someone moaned. Ifer waded into the surrounding death. In the midst of the viscera and barbed stones knelt a speck of green. There was something living. Lyrian, the slate, was doubled over, grasping her side. Something was lodged there. Her head was bowed and she mumbled to herself. Slate Lyrian, Ifer said. She did not respond. Ifer came closer. Slate Lyrian, are you... Ifer stopped. Her hand trembled. The item pierced through the slate's side was leaf. 
Talie's short sword. Ifair's heart spasmed in her chest. She reached out to grab the slate, but as she approached, she heard the words the slate was repeating to herself over and over. Marcota Melkiel, Marcota Melkiel, Marcota Melkiel. Ifair reached out and grasped the jagged stone that perforated the ground. She tried to anchor herself both physically and mentally. Lyrian stopped mumbling. She lifted her head. She gasped as she wrenched Leaf from her side. She turned her sightless visage to Ifair. You're too late. The girl is gone, she said. Ifair lost her grip on the stone and crumpled to the ground. Had the gods known, Markoda Melkiel. Markoda Melkiel. Thank you for listening. Everything you hear in this show is created by me, Adam Ganong. Every word written, every note played. If the work I am doing here has brought you some joy, some comfort, some entertainment, please consider supporting a solo creator on Patreon. Link to that is in the show notes down below. The Stone Singer Chronicles art is by Peter Bartel. Thank you, Peter. There is a link to his website in the show notes. A special thanks to my wife, Jenna Noor, and my friend, Destructobot. Join the Stone Singer Chronicles Discord to get extra information about the show and officially earn your rank as the Mage of the Third Bond. Again, link to that in the show notes down below. All right, and until next time. The warden stumbled into the Lady of the Roses' camp, already on the edge of death. He limped forward, his head lolling back and his tongue hanging from his mouth. Get the healer, Selud shouted, running forward to catch the man as he stumbled forward. Trianne exited her tent and came to where Selud cradled the man. The warden was still conscious and babbling. Trianne recognized him by the large scar that ran from his chin up to his left ear. An informant they'd planted ages ago, and a reliable one at that. He seemed delirious, his eyes rolling back, but still he babbled. Healer? Trian yelled. The warden reached up and grabbed her. He pulled her close, spoke his last words, and then went slack. Trian looked up at Selud. What did he say? Selud asked. Trian repeated the dying man's words. Orphan. Sacrosanct. Map bearer. She turned to Rover and Yelm. Get the spy master. We need all information about any of the students traveling with the mage Ifair. She looked in the direction of the smoke from the burning caravan. I think we may have found our map.